two men, both faced with a choice and an attitude to carry out a divine commission and to deliver a message to their oppressors. Both men were educated in multiple languages and religion, both of them proud of their heritage and patriotic to their country. Both of them yet alive at different times would be in an age where their country was on the brink of dissolution or destruction to be crushed by the iron heel of the world's current superpower. One of these men would be a fugitive to his duties and reluctant to carry him out to the very end. The other man, no matter risk to personal reputation or injury, would seek to forge a path by any means necessary to carry out the mission at hand. But more on them later. Hello, good morning. My name is David Bessenbacher. You can sometimes sign me out at the Connections booth, welcoming new people to Dallas Church, or on occasion up here delivering a message. Uh, but most of the time I'm sitting right out here with my friends and family, listening, learning, trying to apply what Jesus said was the greatest commandment of all. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And I don't know about you, but if my focus is not in the right spots, I can mess that up constantly. Well, today we're continuing our series called Welcome to Dallas Church. And we're going through what we value as a church and people who follow Jesus. See, our vision for Dallas Church is simple, but it's not always easy, to discover God's dream together. And we are going to start today by going through our core value of being outwardly focused as we go out into Dallas and the world to spread a message of hope through Jesus Christ. Matthew 28, 18 says that Jesus spoke to his followers and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you until the end of the age. In our welcome pamphlet, under Outwardly Focused, it says this, we want to be a church that reaches people who don't yet follow Jesus in Dallas. So we look to build bridges into the Dallas community and create relationship with neighbors, coworkers, and people we meet. We also desire to reach beyond Dallas into other communities through planning of new churches as we did in 2011 with launching a church in Corvallis. As I read through that, a few things stuck out to me. That first and foremost, we desire to be a church that reaches people for Jesus. And we plan to do that by building bridges, creating relationships, and planning churches. So today, hopefully we can move that beyond just an idealistic statement to something practical. That with the help of God, that we can apply in our daily lives. Will you pray with me? Lord, help us to be a people who live our values, who have an outward focus. Lord, help us to set aside petty differences and help us to create real friendships that go beyond mere acquaintances. Lord, help us to be the people you have called us to be 
and focus on something much bigger than that which is outside of ourselves. May your gospel reach far and wide and reach the hearts and minds of the people. In Jesus' name, amen. Other than simply not knowing what to do, there are three things that can stop us from developing and having an outward focus. Fear, arrogance, and indifference. Is there anyone out there like me that has noticed that there's so many crazy things going on in the world around us today, or even in our lifetime? Wars, rumors of wars, conflicts, crime, violence, mass shootings, terrorism, economic uncertainty, political and religious divisions, all of these things are systemic of fear, arrogance, and indifference. And they can start causing us to fear our future, our children's future. They can start causing us to fear our financial future or even fear for our safety. And we can start to create this us versus them mentality. Or maybe we just try to ignore it altogether. Maybe you feel you're already at max capacity and you don't know what else you could do or you just think that, you know, if I step out and do something bold, I don't know what people would say or think. All things considered, maybe it would be easier just to bunker down, take care of our own, and not worry about what's going on in the world around us and see if we can make it as safely as possible to death. Unfortunately, all of those things, fear, arrogance, and indifference, they find their root in one thing, selfishness. See, for you and I to develop the proper outward focus, we must start by developing the proper inward focus. I encourage you to go back through this series and listen to Pastor Ben's talk on everyday worship and prayer and how we shouldn't be just giving one or two hours a week to God, but we should be giving them our whole 168 hours in a week in everything we do. And listen to Andrew's talk on relational discipleship, where he gives the analogy of the iceberg and that we should be creating that foundation and spiritual connection to our Heavenly Father. But we shouldn't just be keeping that to ourselves. From that foundation, we should go out into the world and be pouring out blessing into the lives of others. See, God will have his way with you and I, and he will fulfill his plans and purposes. And he has a plan for your life, and it doesn't involve fear, arrogance, or indifference. See, God wants us to have a heart like his heart. Are our hearts breaking and having compassion for the things that break his heart? Or are we justifying our fears, arrogant behaviors, and indifferences by saying the world's just too messed up, it's too bad, they'll never listen, they probably deserve what they're going to get, and there's nothing I can do about it anyway? Are we blaming God because we are fearful or unwilling to do something? Yes, God is just, and he does oppose sin. And we will be held accountable for our time on this earth. Hebrews 9.27 says, For it is appointed for man to die once, and after that, the judgment. But the Lord is also a God of boundless compassion. His love and mercy are restorative. Hebrews 9.28 goes on to say, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. God's love isn't just for me or for us, but also for them, the people of this world, who by their very nature oppose and rebel against God. 
But these are the very people who, just like us, need to hear the message of a hope and a message of hope from a Savior named Jesus, no matter our personal judgments or differences. I'd like to illustrate this point by contrasting the attitudes of the two men that we were talking about before. Both of their stories found right here in our Bibles. Both of these men grew up Jewish and were called to bring a message of repentance outside of their homeland. Both men would be caught in a deadly storm at sea. If you haven't guessed already, the first man is the prophet Jonah, who was called on by God to take a message of repentance to the people of Nineveh. But Jonah decides that he doesn't want to do that. So he thinks he can run from God by going the complete opposite direction. See, Jonah was a Jew and one of God's covenant people. And Nineveh at one point was the capital of Assyria and found in what would be modern-day Iraq. Because of the trouble that Assyria was causing for Israel, Nineveh's destruction probably would have been seen as a victory for Israel. And Jonah thought that the city should be destroyed, maybe from his own sense of justice, because after all, these people deserved God's judgment. Well, on his journey, a great storm takes place at sea, and everyone on the ship starts crying out to their God to save them, except for one man, Jonah, who was asleep, and the captain finds him, and he says, wake up, why are you not calling out to your God to save us? Well, after some interrogation, they find out that Jonah is a Hebrew, and he's actually running from the presence of God. And Jonah tells them, if, uh, if you just throw me overboard, then the storm will stop. Well, the sailors didn't want Jonah's blood on their hands, so they try to turn the ship around and go back to shore. But the storm gets increasingly worse, so they finally make the decision to throw Jonah overboard. Shortly after, the storm stops, and the men of the boat, it says the men of the boat feared the Lord, and they made sacrifices and vows to God. Now Jonah, who was thinking he was plummeting to his death and probably his way out of going to Nineveh, is swallowed by an enormous fish, and he spends three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. Now Jonah never technically says he's sorry, but he thanks God for not abandoning him, and he promises to obey him from this point forward. The fish vomits Jonah onto dry land, and God tells him again, go to Nineveh and take the message that I tell you. So Jonah starts heading towards Nineveh, a three-day journey, and still what seems to be reluctant on Jonah's part, he starts going through the city and yelling out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Well, apparently, this was enough because it says the people of Nineveh believed God, fasted, and put on sackcloth and ashes, which was a way of showing mourning. And it says that the king of Nineveh told everyone to turn from their violence and evil ways. And it says in Jonah 3.9, who knows, God may turn and relent from his fierce anger that we may not perish. I don't know about you, but when I see one person that I did or didn't have influence over start making changes and turn their life over to Jesus, I'm excited. I'm sure when Pastor Ben or Andrew preach and someone responds to the message, they are grateful for God's mercy. 
And I hope as a church that we would welcome as many people as possible. But here's Jonah. A whole city repents at his preaching. Hundreds of thousands of people. And he's upset. He's angry. And he tells God, that's why I ran away in the first place. Because I knew you would save these people. I knew you were a God of abounding love and mercy. Jonah goes so far to ask God to just let him die. Jonah then goes out of the city to see what what happens. Maybe these people didn't really repent. Well, the joke in that region of the world is that there's two seasons, hot and hotter. I don't know how hot it was for Jonah, but it said that God grew a plant over his head to save him from his discomfort, and the plant made Jonah happy. But the next day, God appointed a worm to attack the plant, and it withered away and killed the plant. And Jonah becomes angry and calls out to God, and they have an exchange about this plant. Ultimately, Jonah was angry and sad that the plant died. And God says to him in Jonah 4.10, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh? that great city. I don't know how Jonah responded to God. The Bible never tells us. And I don't know if Jonah was so much acting out of fear in a way that he was scared to go to Nineveh for a safety. Maybe fear of the future of what would happen to Israel if Nineveh wasn't destroyed or what his Jewish peers might think of him preaching repentance to a Gentile nation. He was a little arrogant to the fact that he didn't think God should show his mercy to those people outside of Israel, and he was indifferent to what would happen to the people there. But here's a plant that he cares about more than people, and God ultimately rebukes him. So here's the question for you and me. Where's our heart at? Is there something in our lives that we're putting above people? Are we okay with God loving the people that we disagree with or even dislike? Or are we hoping that God shows his judgment to some people over his mercy? The second man was called to be the apostle to the Gentiles. The Roman Empire was the center of power and authority in the known world. Paul traveled extensively, pursuing a bold vision of spreading the news of God's love and mercy through Jesus Christ death and resurrection to the whole world. Paul knew that the new covenant through the blood of Christ put Jews and everyone else on an equal level, that God was not the exclusive property of a certain type of person or nation, that he was not limited by boundaries. Paul's conviction to bridge uh, this cultural divide and through a chain of events ends ends up getting arrested at the uh, temple in Jerusalem Because he's accused of bringing a non-Jew past the temple warning signs that say, no foreigner shall enter, and if caught, will be put to death. Well, Paul eventually appeals to Caesar, and some other prisoners are put in custody of a Roman centurion named Julius. Well, Paul seemed to gain some influence with Julius and, and build some relationship. But when the storms came increasingly worse at sea, they pull into harbor And Paul advises them not to go on because he thinks that the ship and cargo and people would be lost. Well, in this instance, 
the, the centurion pays more attention to the ship's captain and owner of the boat, and they decide to press on. Well, eventually they hit a massive storm in, at sea, and they start throwing cargo overboard. And Paul stands up and says, you should have listened to me, but don't worry. No one will die because the God whom I worship said I must stand before Caesar, and he has granted me all who sail with me. The sailors look to abandon ship, and Paul speaks to Julius and the, and the soldiers. If they leave, we're all going to die. With that, the soldiers cut away the escape boats, and then Paul urges everyone to eat because it has been 14 days without food. They take bread, and Paul gives thanks to God for it in the presence of everyone, and they eat. Then they throw the rest of the food overboard, and the ship ends up running aground, and they couldn't move, and the ship starts to break apart. Well, the soldiers were planning to kill all of the prisoners, because it probably would have been easier to say why they killed everyone than why they let them all escape. But for whatever reason, Julius wished to save Paul, and he kept the soldiers from carrying out their plan to kill the prisoners. Well, there's... Julius orders everyone to jump overboard, swim or grab pieces of ship to get to land, <clears throat> and they end up getting shipwrecked on the island of Malta. And then Paul and the Roman soldiers eventually <clears throat> find passage to Rome. Uh, Paul there was allowed to stay by himself, and he continued to preach the truth about Jesus to anyone who would come to see him and listen. And we know that he wrote at least four letters while he was there. Where Jonah was unwilling and reluctant, either out of fear, arrogance, or indifference, Paul went out of his way to bridge the cultural divide of his time. Where Jonah only seemed to care about himself and not making friends, Paul seemed to make friends everywhere he went. And he was able to use that influence for good. Where Jonah wanted to narrow God's favor down to a certain people, Paul wanted to fulfill the mission that God's mercy <clears throat> excuse me, was for all people. <clears throat> and he was able to plant small <clears throat> excuse me, and large pockets of followers of Jesus by building bridges, creating relationships, and develop <clears throat> developing leaders to carry on the message that the new covenant, through the sacrifice of Jesus, that was the sacrifice of Jesus was that the people were equal at the cross. So what can you and I learn from all of this? That at first we've got to get our heart right about people. See, it was obvious that Jonah had the head knowledge and even spiritual connection to God. But his heart was hardened when it came to the people of Nineveh. <clears throat> Paul, in contrast, believed so much in God's love for people that he put his credibility, safety, and life on the line to fulfill God's mission for his life. Go back through this series and you will see that each of our values build upon each other. And each value is a, a matter of the heart. If we see each value as a task and something that we have to check off for our own glory, reward, or recognition, it will end in burnout, despair, and improper thinking that people or God owe you something. There is a lot that can divide us in this world. Thank you. There's a lot that can divide us in this world to build bridges into the community. We as Christians should be about unity. 
And that doesn't mean that we have to agree with what everyone is doing. But we should first show love and grace and see people as children of God. See, the temple at Jerusalem had warning signs up, letting anyone who wasn't Jewish know that they weren't welcome past a certain point. Do we have warning signs up in our lives, either visible or invisible, as a church for ourselves? Do we think that Dallas Church is only for a certain type of person? Do all our friends think and act alike, or are we willing to bridge that divide in our community? Remember, it doesn't matter what you said, even what you meant to say. All that matters is how did you make them feel? We need to be intentional about building new relationships. Instead of Jonah's mentality to block people out and let God deal with them, what if we were more motivated like Paul, building influence and and friendships everywhere we went? There were probably hundreds of reasons Paul could have found not to like the Roman centurion, Julius. First of all, he was his prisoner, but Paul didn't let his circumstances limit his influence or leadership. Paul had a God-given mission to fulfill, and when problems arose or the storms came, he didn't use it as an excuse to give up. He believed that God would see him through to fulfill his purpose. What dream or mission has God put on your heart? What circumstances are you allowing to hold you back? We have to learn to set aside every lie of the enemy that is trying to hold us back. And remember that we serve a God that has an unlimited capacity to fulfill his purpose. Storms in life are going to come. Whether in Jonah's case where they're self-inflicted or in Paul's where it was outside of his control. We have to decide to stop living our lives by our circumstances And start living by the priorities that we want to guide our life. Part of being outwardly focused is when things get rough, think, who can I serve? Where can I help? The best way to get through a tough spot is to help somebody else who is going through their storms in life. Show people where you put your faith and hope. And let them see that it's okay to keep moving even when there's a storm in life going on. to be outwardly focused, to build bridges in our community, to start creating relationships that have some depth and continue to plant churches. We have to trust God and be willing to step out and do something bold. It's great to utilize the skills and talents we've been given, but are we stretching beyond that and willing to grow? Are we putting ourselves in positions to meet new people? We can do that by serving, doing volunteer projects, Or simply when we're out living our everyday lives, be willing to strike up a conversation. Maybe someone isn't comfortable coming to a church service, but maybe they'd be willing to come to a small group or sit down with you over a cup of coffee. We can make church less of an obstacle for people by edifying each other and introducing and connecting people that we know at church. It's really hard to stay indifferent, hate, or not care about someone or something that you increasingly get to know, and each of us can reaffirm the love and grace of Jesus. John thirteen thirty five. by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Are we looking for opportunities that God has put before us, or are we building evidence against ourselves why we can't do something great for God's kingdom? 
we should be excited and scared at the same time. If not, maybe we're not stretching ourselves enough. We all have different temperaments and strengths and weaknesses. And I get it, some of this can be scary. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, We should be empowered and controlled by the Holy Spirit. What is tragically wrong with the Christian is when he allows himself to be controlled by his temperament. The natural man is controlled by his temperament. We have to learn to say what is not true of us, but what is true of God. To reach the next person, the next community, whether planning a small group or a whole church, we've got to develop ourselves as servant leaders. We must realize that ministry is a team sport. And we have to be humble enough to accept mentorship. Are we willing to ask for help and direction? And are we ready to accept it? Are we being convicted by what we read or listen to? And are we letting it hit our heart? At some point, it can't be about being a victim for why it can't happen. We must become so absorbed in the love of God that we forget about ourselves and believe that we can become a part of fulfilling God's dream together. So today and this day forward, if you haven't already, begin to engage life with the heart of Christ. Engage life with the heart of Christ. Our God is a compassionate God. Can you engage life with the heart of Christ and self-reflect that compassion to such a degree that you are so outwardly focused that you are able to become the vehicle of God's compassion and the world that he has made and so deeply cares about? What if you reach out and help a struggling single mom or show empathy for someone going through a relational or financial struggle? What if that one phone call or invitation to coffee or lunch stops someone from ending it all or is a catalyst for them ending an addiction or bad habit in their life? What if you're able to have that one conversation that brings someone to or back to following Jesus? What if they go out and are able to use their gifts to make a major impact? What if you could reach out and touch one more life and point all the credit back to the love, mercy, and mercy of Jesus Christ, who at one point gave you the opportunity of salvation and eternal life? Don't hold on to your gifts and talents that God has given you for yourself. Remember, you're not just playing with your future. You have the opportunity to change and influence your family, friends, acquaintances, people you meet that you may or may not disagree with. You're not so much trying to change their view as you're trying to show them a different way through the love, mercy, sacrifice, and heart of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for this time to get together and discuss your words, Lord. Help us to have an outward focus. Help us to engage life with the heart of Christ. Help us to become the people that you have called us to be and focus on something bigger than ourselves. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.